You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. We're, uh, we're finishing this morning our short series on Nehemiah. And uh, I trust that God has challenged you in some way through this passage of Scripture. Just to recap the story, uh, for those of you who maybe have not journeyed with us thus far, or um, maybe forgot already what's happened, we're, uh, we're going to bring it up to speed. We're going to bring you up to speed of what's happened in the story. At the very beginning of Nehemiah, uh, a report is given by Nehemiah's brother of the state of Jerusalem. And uh, Nehemiah is moved by what he hears, that Jerusalem, this great city, the city of God, city of David, is lies in ruin, that the gates are burned, that the walls are destroyed, and it looks like, in many ways, a ghost town. And something grips his heart, and, and he doesn't just say, wow, that's really so, so bad, it used to be such a great place. But actually, he takes responsibility for that word, and he begins to seek God. And he begins to say, God, but, but what is your plan? What is your heart? What, is, what, is you, what do you want to do in this circumstance? As I've shared over the past couple of weeks, you know, we can look at life and we can look at the world around us and we think, oh, it's so bad. It's, this is such a difficult place or this is not as it should be. And it's very easy for us to just leave it at that. But actually, Nehemiah takes it a step further and he really takes onus and he, he takes responsibility and he begins this process of, of saying, God, where am I in this whole story? What do you want me to do about it? You know, the world is looking for people like you that say, God, what do you want me to do about this circumstance? What do you want me to do about what's going on with my neighbors or in this community or around the world even? God moves in his heart and, and when the time comes right, he, he doesn't just jump into things, but he, he takes time to plan and seek God. And when, when the king asks what, what is it he wants, he, he takes this great risk and says, actually, I, I want to go rebuild the walls of, and the, the, of Jerusalem and and can you give me all the supplies and can you give me letters for for transport and can you supply me with everything I need and here Nehemiah a cupbearer to the king very experienced in wine is out to endeavor in rebuilding a city as a builder as being the chief architect of this plan although he has no qualifications for this at least not that we see in scripture usually cupbearers of the king do not kind of learn the building trade and yet he is called and there's a sense of, God, he, he, you, you got something for me. So he risks it all and says it to the king. And God grants him this amazing favor. And the king says, you know what? Go for it. Go do it. Wow. Again, looking at history, Israel was an enemy, Babylon. And so to go rebuild the capital city, it's, it's like you're, you're, you're empowering the nation that you've, you've taken over to rebuild and to repurpose itself. And yet God speaks to the king. And so when he arrives, he, he, he goes with his, his people, with an entourage of people, and he arrives into Jerusalem and he takes time to count the cost. So before he kind of, kind of arrives with all this pomp and ceremony, he, he goes for three days and at nighttime he, he surveys the wall. He just looks to see what, what really is at stake. Because it isn't, if he hadn't saw the whole process, if he didn't see the big picture, no matter how much he thinks it's a great idea, if he, if he doesn't understand what he's really undertaking, it will be shot down by other people before, even it, before it even gets off the ground. 
And so he doesn't share the vision with anyone. He doesn't say why he's there. He looks and he surveys and he thinks. No doubt during the daytime, at nighttime, he's surveying the land. In the daytime, no doubt, he's drawing the plan, thinking, okay, how are we going to do this? We're going to need people here. We're going to need people there. We're going to need. He thinks through the whole strategy. When it comes the right time, after three days, he gathers everyone together and he says, here's the plan, guys. We're going to rebuild the wall. Now, because he'd taken the time, he did the, he's done the research, he did the, you know, in a business, if they're going to start a new business, or you're going to start a new project, you do research in your, um, you do market research, right? Is it, is it a need for this? He, he, he goes through all of that process. So when it comes time to share the vision with everyone, he's got all the facts and he's got the plan. And because of it, everyone says, yes, let's do it. He gets buy-in from everyone because they see that this is someone who knows what he's talking about. He's done the work behind the scenes, so he's ready for the job. Opposition starts to mount, and uh, they start to see, those who are in the area start to see this, something's going on. There's a building project going on, and they become threatened by this. Now, we're going to read today, as we're going to continue on to the story, in Nehemiah chapter 4. So initially it starts off with just some, maybe you could call it banter, but then it starts to get a little bit serious. Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to read to start with verses 1 and 2 and 3. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring those stones back to life from the heap of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, says, what they are building, even a fox climbed, if a, even a fox climbed up on it, it would break down their wall of stones. Their enemies start to ridicule them. And uh, as I've looked at my own life, whenever I've stepped forward into something that God has put in my heart to do, in it's so quick that the enemy starts to throw accusations at us. What you are doing is going to make no difference. What you are doing, you can't really pull this off. You've already kind of, you know, Nehemiah has taken the step of faith. He's already rallied the troops. They've started into it. But now at this point, it's starting into it. And the early days of going after what God's put in our hearts to do is when the enemy comes very strongly to try to pull us off course, bringing accusations. You're not worthy. You're not able to do this. You can't finish it. Who do you think you are? It's going to fail. How many have had those moments where you have thought of, this isn't going to work? I think for most of us, if we started into something new, you have those feelings. Will it work? Will anyone come? Will this really make a difference in this community? Will it, will it have any impact? The ridicules come and the enemy will use any tactic he can to pull us off, to make us discouraged, to, to make us feel like we should give up before we even really get going. And again, these can either come from other people voicing thoughts of doubt or can come in our own thought process. Now, Nehemiah in verse four takes these thoughts and he, and he begins to respond to them. And this is how he responds to what they're saying. He says, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back, their insults back on their, their own heads. 
Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. He wasn't taking it lying down. And so he, he starts with this prayer. He seeks God. It was a f- battle that was going to be fought. And this is the, the re- restoration of Israel was God's plan. And whenever God has a plan, the enemy of God's plan is, is Satan. He will do everything in his power to stop God's plan being fulfilled. And so for Nehemiah, this is the case. For us, this is the case. So in one side, God is with us. God has called us. But also when we're advancing the kingdom of God, when we're moving forward with what God has for us, the enemy is there to try to stop us. But the battle belongs to who? The Lord's. And so although the taunts were coming, Nehemiah doesn't respond the like. He doesn't start to go back and, and start to defend himself to, to these guys. He doesn't, he doesn't arm himself in that way. But what does he do? He begins to pray because actually he said, God, you, you need to intervene here. The battle's brought into the heavenlies. He doesn't deal with it in, in the carnal nature. You know, the funny thing is, is when we start into something, we ourselves are very vulnerable because we also are aware that we're undertaking something that's beyond us. And so when we're attacked, there's a temptation for us to try to defend ourselves, to try to justify ourselves, to try to go to that level of, of maybe even fighting back at them. But actually, if we can keep our hearts pure before God and actually allow God to do the, 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 the battle, actually we can carry on being untainted by the, the plans and purposes of the enemy and God's purposes will be fulfilled. But God wants him to be involved in the process. And so Nehemiah, in, in a very wise way, when the taunts start coming, he says, God... I'm looking to you right now. May you intervene here. I, I, you've called me to do this, but these, these enemies are, they're, they're here. Now he prays about it, but he also begins to, um, he begins to take some other plans into, into action. So we're going to continue to read verses seven to nine and, uh, we'll just unpackage it a bit here. But when Sembalat, Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed. They were very angry and they plotted together to come up and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Okay, so now it's going beyond just accusations. It's coming to war, right? There's a number of, of people groups, nations that are saying, we're going to fight against Jerusalem. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet their threats. Again, Nehemiah's response, he prayed, he posted guards. And now if we continue to read in verse 17, I don't think it will be on the screen, but verse 17, those who were rebuilding the wall, um, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. It's a great picture of the kingdom of God. God calls us to build, but he also calls us to defend. Right? So they were building on one front. One hand, I don't know how they did it. I like to see a builder work one-handed, but one-handed they held a weapon. And here's this, here's this, the thought process when it comes to us. God calls us to advance his kingdom, but he also calls us to be on guard, to wear the full armor of God, to be aware of the enemy's attack. So on one side, all of us are builders, but we're also military soldiers in God's kingdom 
defending the purposes of the Lord. And so Nehemiah didn't, in a sense, he, he prayed, he sought God, but he also took kind of some key things. He, he, he wasn't distracted by what was being, being done by the military threats of the enemy, but actually he kept the work going and he positioned himself to, de- to, to build and defend at the same time. Again, I think when real opposition comes in our lives, it's very easy for us to take our eye off the ball. Do you know what I mean by that? Taking our eye off the ball? It's very easy for Israel at this point. When the threats were coming that they were going to engage in war, again, who was in Jerusalem at this point? They were, in essence, the peasants. They were the people, many of them, of low standards, of, of the, the lower class, uh, the people, that, the poor, that were left just to kind of tend the fields. Everyone else had been exiled to Babylon. There was not a lot of people there. And so when threat was coming, and I'm sure everyone would have known that there's armies starting to position themselves to wage war, there would have been a very quick thought to say, do you know what, we should stop building and we need to really think through our military strategy because we're coming under threat. And stop one thing to do another. Do you know, I think whenever we stop moving forward in God's kingdom and we just go on our back foot and being defensive, in essence, the enemy's already won, hasn't he? It's very easy to be distracted when kind of all hell breaks loose in our lives. But can I encourage you to keep your eyes focused upon what God has originally said in your life and to keep going, to build with one hand and to defend on the other, but not let go of the building. It's very easy to just shift into just the defensive mode. But unfortunately, progress is not made if we're just defending. Right? In every team, there's, you know, in sports, there's often offense and there's defense. The offensive needs to be functioning as well as the defense. If only the defense, if you had football and only there's only defense, you would lose every single match, right? Because you're just defending. You could be the best defenders, but you'll never win. In the same sense, if you're only going forward and there's no one defending, you'll also probably lose. You need to both. And in God's kingdom, we need to be offensive. We need to be building. We need to be going forward, but we also need to be defending what God has put in place. Now, in a sense, up to this point in the story, Nehemiah and the Israelites are all one facing this outside opposition. But as we continue reading the story through, and I know we're not reading it through in detail, but as we read it through, we all of a sudden come to chapter five, where there's actually internal problems starting to surface. Now, I think, as a, say, as a church, if we were fighting, in a sense, spirit, well, fighting spiritually, kind of the opposition from the outside, I think we can hold together, we can be strong, we can, we can stand together. But when opposition starts happening inside the group, then that's a whole different story. You see, often it's, it's not so much the opposition outside that will stop us, but it's often the division inside that stops us going forward. Any great church, any great move of God, often we'll see it come to an end when, when there's a threat of division with, within their own camps or within their own ranks. I think the enemy is very clever. If he can work from within, actually, no matter what the threat is on the outside, if we're divided against ourselves, you know, Jesus said, the kingdom will never stand. It'll, it'll never go forward. And so Nehemiah chapter 5, 
I will just read quickly what the, the situation was. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against the Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our, brother, our sons and daughters are numerous. Uh, in order for, for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others are saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's taxes, the king's tax on our field and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have gone, have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Nehemiah was facing this internal problem. They were building, doing great things, but the internal problem was is that some Israelites were taking advantage of others. The rich were getting richer, the poor were getting poorer. And it's pretty difficult to kind of focus on building a wall if you can't feed your kids. Right? It's pretty difficult to, to look at the big vision of, of the, the, the church if you've got an internal problem. And this is what was happening. Even the early church faced this, didn't they? The Jews, the, 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 the Greeks, they, they were, they were, there was this, um, the widows weren't being fed. And although God was doing one thing that was great, if there was other problems going on, there was, there was a, a distraction, there was an issue that was at hand. There were internal problems can also affect the church. Not working together, disagreements, control. And if a problem is left undealt with, it can stop any vision, no matter how great the vision is. If an internal problem is allowed to, to kind of fester, it'll stop it. And for Nehemiah, I, I imagine this was a, a critical moment. And in, in verse 6, he, he, he says, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I like that. I was very angry. He, he, he didn't just kind of, okay, well, that's really too bad for you guys. But he actually, he, he takes responsibility for this again. And he realizes that if something doesn't happen, we will be defeated in this. And so he calls everyone together. We'll read it. This is one of our last passages we'll read before we carry on. Verses 7 to 11 says this. It says, I pondered then in my mind and accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting uh, usury. Is that how you say it here? Good. From our own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back um, back to us. They kept quiet because they could not find anything to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also leading the people, sorry, lending the people money and grain. But let the exactory and the usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and all the usury you are charging them 
the hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. Nehemiah's response provides some keys to working through problems with others. Okay? First one is that he addressed the issue directly. Do you know, I think when internal problems happen, whether this is family, whether it's church, whatever, when we work in organizations, you know what? Whenever we work with other people, we come to moments where we have to deal with issues or disagreements. Now, he doesn't skirt the issue. He doesn't talk to everyone else. He doesn't uh, kind of build up a committee. He ponders a thought process. He calls everyone together and he faces what is the problem. I don't know if you have this term here, facing the gorilla. Do you have this? No. It could not even, it may not even be a saying in my own country, because I do get accused of coming up with things that Donna says, that's not Canadian, Tyler. So, um, he, he faces, what is the challenge? He faces the elephant in the room. How about that? You, you know that one. He, he faces it. He, he, he opens the cage of the gorilla and he deals with the gorilla. Okay. He faces the gorilla. Let's use the gorilla. There are times where we need to find the root and not shy away from it. Again, these were nobles. These were other people in authority. And there could have been temptation for Nehemiah to, to want to build relationships with them, not to, to kind of to shy away from it. Because it was really the poor. It was the under, it was the lower class people in society that were being mistreated at this moment. The wealthy people are often the people that kind of get their voice heard the most. But actually he heard the voice of uh, the outcry of, of the poor and he takes the cause and he deals with the issue straight on. This is a challenging process in any kind of context because most of us don't like conflict. How many of you like conflict? Nobody likes conflict. Nobody likes to initiate conflict, right? And sometimes in these moments, you have to initiate contract conflict in order to get a, a, a solution out of it. I, I've been in church a, a fair amount of my life. In fact, all my life. And I've seen, especially in leadership, when I, especially in Canada, when I was on staff at a church, there was a time where some problems, internal problems were going on. And there was a decision not to deal with certain issues because of who was involved and, and their power, their authority in the church. And so I, I remember at a time the pastor decided that he would just not deal with it because this family had quite a control in the church and he didn't really want to upset them. So he chose to not deal with it. Through choosing not to deal with the problem, a whole bunch of people left the church because there was not a willingness to address the root issue of what the problem was. And to be honest, as I looked at it, I thought it was just wrong. What was going on was wrong. But because it wasn't dealt with, it was allowed to continue. As leaders or as people, sometimes we got to face the issues that are challenging to face. And that can be challenging in ourselves because it's much easier to, to be peacemakers than peace, sorry, peacekeepers than peacemakers. Right? It's much easier to say nothing, to try to keep everyone happy than it is sometimes to deal with the root problems, unsurface it and say, okay, you know what? We're going to talk about it. We're going to look at it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to come to a solution. You may not be the friend, the, 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 the person everyone likes in the process, but resolution has a chance of being found. So he addresses the issue directly. He also confronts those in the wrong. Healthy confrontation is needed when problems happen. 
Again, I think it, I have been in moments where I have been in the wrong. And I needed to be confronted. Can I tell you, none of us are immune or none of us are in a position or, or kind of live to a position where we, we never make a mistake. There have been moments when I needed to be called an account. And I've had times where people come to my office or, you know, corrected me in different ways. And I sometimes need to be corrected. Because sometimes I will be creating a problem and it'll go on and on and on until someone deals with it. Now, this isn't necessarily open. Well, <laughs> maybe it is an open door. Maybe it's a, if you got a problem, come and talk to me. He confronts those in the wrong. Do you know what? Can I tell you what? If we deal quickly when problems happen, do you know there's a much greater chance of a peaceful solution. But if things are left as fester and things are just left for times, a time period, you know, a little problem becomes a bigger problem, which becomes a bigger problem. Pretty soon you can have civil war. You know, you can have a whole church divided. You can have all sorts of, you know, if we can deal with things as they come, as we are willing to just confront and, and look at situations head on and, and talk those, have those difficult conversations. You know what? We can come through the other side of it and be stronger together. I do believe that. I believe the enemy will use whatever, you know, weaknesses are in our own lives to pull division in the church. And again, that's why I say I'm not immune to this. I have a flesh. I can sometimes do things. I can, I can present things that, you know, cause offense. And if I'm not challenged at moments, do you know what? I can be causing the problems as well. And it's important that we deal with those things. The third thing is there was, there was restitution. There was follow through. Again, it wasn't just talking about the issues, but in verse 12, it says, we will give it back, they said, and we will not not demand any more from them. We will do as you say. Sometimes changes need to happen in order for movement, for the forward movement to to go on, in order for progress to happen. Sometimes there has to be change. And and in this situation, those in authority said, okay, we we will go along with what you're saying. We'll give it all back. Now, interestingly enough, in verse 14, it says, moreover, in this kind of passage of scripture, it says, at the very end, it says, neither I nor my brothers ate food allotted to me uh, for the governor. Or he, he acted as the governor at this time. He himself did not become part of the problem. And I think in all of this, Nehemiah, from the very beginning of showing up on the scene, he himself never asked for any of what would be entitled to him. So that even... His role in all of this whole process would never have been second-guessed as to why he was there. I don't know if he lived off his own savings. Well, I don't know what he lived off of, but he certainly didn't ask from the people what was what he could have. Now, in all of this, despite the ongoing opposition, the internal issues they had to work through, the wall was completed because they kept going and they dealt with each issue as it came. And in verse Chapter 6, verses 15 to 16, we see this. It says, so the wall was completed on the 12th, sorry, the 25th of Elul in the, uh, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, they were astounding. All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. I want to read that last bit again. 
It says, when all the enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. They encountered, or they endeavored on something that they were not equipped to fulfill. They trusted God. They continued to seek Him. They didn't allow internal problems. They didn't allow the threats of the enemy to stop. They kept building. They kept going forward. And in the end, it pointed everyone to God. The surrounding nations saw that surely God was with them because that was not possible. Do you know what? I believe when we follow the Lord and we are doing what He's called us to do, it always will lead us to that place where people will see, surely that was God. When I look back on my life, I, my prayer is that I, I, I wouldn't be able to say, surely that was me. But surely that was God. God did something impossible through people, unlikely people, building. When we go through the list, as I shared last week, when you go through the list of the people involved in the building program, none of them were builders. There were priests building, there were Levites building, there were perfume makers building, there were, there were cupbearers building. Nobody was qualified to do what they were doing, yet God did something right through them. And this was the beginning of the restoration of Jerusalem. Do you know what? God has a plan and a purpose, and He invites us to be part of His big plan. And the enemy, as I said, will, 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 will cause all kinds of opposition to come to try to stop us. But the encouragement to us today is to keep our trust, keep our focus on the Lord and keep trusting in Him. To keep tuned into Him, to keep our focus set upon Him. To work through the differences that we may have with one another, to, to continue to press in to the calling that He's put in our lives and to not give up. And in the end, when we're faithful day after day after day, do you know what? The wall is rebuilt. The, 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 the difference is made. You know, sometimes in the moment, in the, in the day-to-day things, we don't see the difference that's happening to the world around us. But in, when we can look back over time, we see the impact that was made. And I'm sure as they were building, each guy was building the wall closest to their house. They were building their wall. They might not have seen the big picture. But when they all of a sudden finished their wall, and then we went to their neighbors, oh, you finished your bit. Oh, you start traveling around the city. and re- Oh, and the entire wall's done. The gates have been put back in place. Everything's finished. Suddenly there was a pride of a restoration of we are becoming who God had intended us to be. It was then the beginning to rebuild the house, the, the temple. There, you know, as you continue to read that whole story, that there, there's this life that begins to be brought back to Jerusalem. It wasn't a wasteland anymore, but God restored it in its fullness. God is glorified because Miracles happen through our lives in the church when our hearts are moved by His calling and His purpose. And we say yes to Him. We, we, we go forward in the things He has. And we don't let the enemy stop us. This is a great story of success. Of people going against the odds to see the miraculous happen. And you know what? In your life, whatever you're facing, you know what? God can do great things as we continue to hold on to Him. And let Him do the impossible things through your life. I hope in some ways this maybe helps you. Maybe you're facing something right now that you've maybe shied away from dealing with. Maybe there's opposition going on in your life that you, maybe it's time that you need to just talk about it. Maybe you need to face it. 
before it stops you. Why don't you stand with me, please? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church, passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.